Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Welcome back to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. And today I am with Paula Crossfield, and she is a Vedic astrologer, a business coach dedicated to helping a million spirit led entrepreneurs leverage opportunities in their cosmic blueprint, which I can't wait to hear more about what that is, coupled with proven strategy to make more money and impact so they can bankroll the change they want to see in the world. And she has led a very interesting life, which I can't wait to hear more about. Right now, she's living on a 160-acre farm where her and her partner are revitalizing the land for future generations with hopes of giving the land back. She's a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and follows the Lakota traditions And she has so much insight to offer us on money, which I'm sure there is some emotional overlap with money. (laughs) So I'm really excited to dive deeper into that. But welcome to the podcast, Paula. How are you today? Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. I mean, we're like we were just saying, it's in between two eclipses right now. So it's a little bit, you know, it's like, playing on Mm -hmm. our emotions a little bit because there's a lot happening, I would say, for Mm -hmm. a lot of people in my world anyway. Yeah. For people who are not following astrology, but they can feel it still. Like everyone Mm -hmm. is feeling this eclipse energy. It's just if you have more of an awareness around it, would you say that, that everyone is impacted by the eclipse? I think everyone is impacted it's an unusual time, you know, those are dark places in the sky where the moon and the sun cross each other. So historically, you know, if you were in a place where that was visible and it was light out and the moon moved across the sun, it would become dark. And so there, yeah. there have been traditions all over the world that would take note of that as being a very strange phenomenon. And, you know, there are strange things that happen, you know, animals react in a certain way, you know, so there are things that are impacting us, whether we're aware of the astrological reasoning behind it, it's sort of a period when things fructify, when certain secrets come to light, when we see people from the past. (laughs) There's just certain Mm -hmm. things that are brought to the surface that have to be dealt with. Things come to fruition, sometimes quickly, that have been pending for a long time. Sometimes they just get pulled through. So it's kind of a, a time like that. I find it super fascinating that I revealed my own story about finding out that my dad wasn't biologically my dad. And I, I'm very intuitive and just follow my intuition, but I did this between two eclipses. So I'm, I'm really fascinated mm. by like, okay, like, mm-hmm, this was the moment I chose and, or not even I chose, maybe this is the moment that chose me. Right. I mean, the, The paradigm of astrology is really looking at these different archetypes that impact us and how we all are possessed by different things. We're possessed by ideas, 
were possessed by our ancestors, our, you know, our DNA, the things Mm -hmm. that they thought and did and how that impacted us. We're possessed by diseases. We're possessed by spiritual practices, (laughs) all these different things, right? And so astrology is just another way that we can start to contextualize that through the, the language of the planets, you know? And so for this, for the eclipses, we're talking about the nodes. So they're essentially just shadow places in the sky, like I said, where the moon and sun cross. And so they have their own vibe, their own feeling, right? And that that mm. also can possess us to do things and to take action maybe in ways that we hadn't planned or thought of. <laughs> yeah, yes. That would be my experience for the last month of my life. So I would love to go back to the beginning. So what were you like as a child? What was your experience growing up? And where were you in the world at that time? So I was born in Oklahoma, and my family goes back on both sides at least four generations. In Oklahoma, my mom's side is where the Cherokee is her mom. So, you know, at some point, the Cherokee were displaced from the East Coast and walked the Trail of Tears and ended up on reservations in Oklahoma. So, this is the largest tribe, I believe, in Oklahoma, but there are hundreds. And so, my upbringing, you know, I grew up spending time outside a lot, but not. Not we weren't like a very nature focused family, but I would like to climb trees and fish in the pond and like climb around in the in the woods, you know what I mean, with other kids. But I was an only child of my mother and I have two siblings on my dad's side, but I grew up by myself in a house with adults. So mm-hmm. I was trying to get involved in what the adults were doing and kind of precocious learner but spent a lot of time alone as a child and like wondering and building card houses and blocks and staring out my window at the moon, (laughs) you Mm. know, just kind of wondering what are we here for? What is all of this? You know, Mm. you sound like very curious. You were a very curious child as well. Definitely. Yeah. An insatiable reader, very curious you know, my mom would like get me puzzles to do to keep me busy because otherwise I'd drive her nuts. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you in touch with your emotions? Would you consider yourself an emotional child? Where were you in relation to your emotions? I think I was taught by my family that to pretend like everything was okay. Most of the time, like being from the Midwest, there's a lot of like putting on a certain normalcy, I guess. I had a lot of emotions and that was very hard for my family. Like, especially my mother, she didn't know how to, to calm my emotions. Cause I would be mm-hmm. crying <laughs> intensely or having like really intense dreams. And like, this can be explained by my birth chart too, my, my cosmic blueprint you know, how my moon is situated is it tells a story of like why I was such an emotional child and like why that became really difficult for my mother. She tried, she very much tried, but she did not understand the intensity of my emotions or what to do about it. So, you know, I learned from an early age to kind of subsume those emotions and 
try to control myself, I would say. And I think that strategy worked in some ways. And then it came, those emotions emerged in other ways. Like they presented as anger when I became a teenager, you know, they presented as anxiety, like having really, really intense anxiety through my teens and my 20s and eventually leading me to therapy. What does your anxiety look like today? Is it still a part of your experience? Because I definitely talk a lot on this podcast about my own anxiety as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I've made friends with my anxiety. Like I see it Mm. coming around the corner and I'm like, Hey, it's you. Okay. What, what do you need right now? Cause I see that you're having a need, right? It's like, we have a dialogue where I don't just become anxious, like, especially in relationship with my husband, I'll be like, I need you to help me reduce anxiety by giving me more information here. (laughs) Like, like I know how to work Mm. with the anxiety, if that makes sense. So I don't feel overcome by it or like, you know, like I'm just on the waves being tossed, like, I very much am on the boat riding the waves. Yes. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's really powerful. What are some of the practices that you do that help you stay in that grounded place? I know the the mornings are really important to you. What does that look like for you? So I have a long-term yoga practice. It's become a lot less intense as I age. So now in my 40s, it's a lot more of like a restorative yoga practice. I do a lot of squatting though, which is not, it can be kind of intense, but <laughs> yeah. I do that. And I, I go for walks outside. I do some Vedic chanting, which is like a very specific kind of chanting with my teacher, Shantala Sri Ramaya. That's very, it's in three tones and it's, very traditional in India. It's a traditional kind of chant. Mm. And so you you do different texts and scriptures for different deities and different, you know, like there's fire oriented mantras that you chant and that helps you develop your strength of will and your strength of clarity. And it's almost like each thing is a medicine. So I do that a lot and that helps to keep me grounded. In fact, there was one chant that I did when I had a lot of anxiety that I credit for helping me reduce anxiety. And that mm. chant is called the Maha Mertanjaya and it's it's a specific chant for Shiva. And Shiva is the destroyer. So he's about releasing all of our ideas, concepts, connections, to things being a certain way in this material reality. And so there's like, there was something that needed to shift within me that, you know, there was some perception of how I, you know, or concern about how I was being perceived or what people thought, you know what I mean? And I think this, that just doing this mantra constantly for like a year really helped me reduce anxiety. That's mm. so powerful. I, I think, why I fell in love with Kundalini yoga when I was first coming to yoga was the chanting. Was the chanting really brought me someplace, was healing for me. And now as a practitioner of sound and holding sound journeys and singing bowls, I believe that our voice is our original sound, our original sound healer. So chanting, I'm I just I believe, I believe in the power of that Mm. and that it healed that part of you. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could say more about (laughs) the throat. (laughs) That's something that I like to talk about a lot, like in our birth chart, the second house is associated with the throat. Tell us more. It's associated with money. It's associated with traditions and knowledge coming in. And so sometimes we have to clear that block, like chanting or singing, even singing something completely secular opens up this channel for us to receive actually for us to be clear about what we want to receive and then be able to receive it. It's an interesting way to like work with your karma, your money karma and help to allow yourself to make more money. (laughs) Wow. I've never, never looked at it that way. So opening this space can help in the receiving process. Mm, Yeah. Can you tell us more about, oh, I know you have so much knowledge and wisdom in relation to money and emotions and, and how this shows up for people. I would love to hear what that looks like for you and how you've overcome your challenges and now how you help other people do the same. Well, money is so intense, right? It's like, I mo- mostly work with people who are spiritual practitioners, right? And so a lot of us have been meditating and doing yoga. We've got some capability for like keeping ourselves calm in the everyday, right? And then when you approach making money or starting a business where you're the the person out front kind of as ambassador of your business, right? And the stakes are higher because you're trying to make a living from whatever it is you're doing, then there's new layers that can open up of like where the work can be done. And sometimes it's the same work again, but at a new layer. (laughs) So I work with people around like, what are those mindset blocks that are coming up? Because we're only limited by our mind for the most part. Yes, we have a cosmic blueprint that was the placement of the planets at the moment of our birth. And that is a karmic map. It shows us the kinds of things that we're going to experience in this lifetime. Some of those are related to money. Some of those are related to how we receive, how we hold on to money, the kinds of spending we're going to have to do, our ability to donate or tie our karmas with a cause that's really important. Like all of that is there, but really like our mindset is the ceiling. So. What I try to do is help my clients reach the ceiling of being at least at $10,000 a month because no matter what your money karma is, we pretty much like in the Western world, we need that in order to live, to be, be able to save, to be able to pay our taxes, to be able to have money in an emergency, to plan for our dreams. I would say it's even more than that, especially now after mm-hmm. inflation, but $10,000 is that like base amount that allows people to start really thriving. And a lot of spirit-led entrepreneurs are not there yet. And so part of it is getting in the mindset of understanding that that has to be a baseline, that what should feel really big is like a hundred thousand a month or like a million a month. (laughs) Like that should feel big and crazy. And the the 10,000 or the 20,000 should feel like that's where I'm getting my needs met. I'm able to give back in really big ways. I'm able to 
live my dreams. And so what are the mindset blocks that are keeping people from that being their baseline? You know, and so when I say that, there's a lot of stories that can come up. It can be like, well, am I good enough at what I do to charge more? Or what does it mean for me to be earning that much? Like what fears come up? So there's a lot to unpack and to look at and to work on really carefully. I work with people using word spells. So how do we rewrite those, those mental patterns and create new pathways using our own words, not affirmations that someone else has written, using our own words and making it believable for ourselves. And I've seen this again and again. This is the work I did with myself. This is the work I've done with my clients where they just jump into the next level of earning, you know, because their brain is different. So I don't know if I answered your question, but. Yeah, so beautifully. <laughs> well, how does this connect with um, what we were programmed to believe when we were growing up about money is, is a lot of the things, a lot of the challenges that you're seeing with your clients, is it related to beliefs that they just adopted as children mm. that before we were able to really decide, oh, hmm, is this mine? Is this for my highest and best? Does a lot of that come from that place? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. So when we were children, as you probably know, you know, the cement was wet and we took on a lot of the beliefs and ideas and thoughts of our caretakers. Like before the age of seven, they say it's like you really get programmed by your surroundings. So like when we look at your karmic map, your birth chart, we can see in there these tendencies that are there. They're like grooves. The Vedic tradition calls them vasanas. They're like grooves that we create where a pattern is formed, right? And those grooves can be deeper or they can be less deep. The deeper they are, the harder they are to smooth over, right? And so even having the awareness that they're there is starting the process of smoothing them over. Right. And then what we do to rewrite those early life patterns, which could be chanting, it could be meditation, it could be movement, it could be, you know, movement and combining with like a retelling of your story, it could be therapy. All of these things help to kind of smooth those lines, those patterning that's inside of us. And that actually changes our karma. So from then on, like there's this karmic map, but then there's like, how do we work with that in this lifetime so that we can overcome those things? So it's just a kind of trajectory that's set as a child, but we don't have to permanently reside there. This is wild that you're saying that you can also see it in the charts. You can see this yeah. not just based on, okay, what was your experience like as a child? You can see this in that cosmic blueprint. Yeah. Can you also so see? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. What were you going to ask? Can you also see, I'm just wondering if our emotions are showing up in there as well of, or maybe how we handle things. Like, is there a part of who we are from an emotional standpoint that shows up in the charts as well? A hundred percent. So 
you know, I was going to talk a little bit about how Vedic astrology is different because it does have a precision. I'm not a practitioner of Western, but the fact that things are set in time and there's different refined combinations of how the planets sit, like it shows us a lot more in-depth information about a person, right? And so that would include how our emotions show up. So everything in, in astrology or in Vedic astrology is cumulative. Nothing is cancellative, meaning you could have a difficult placement with your moon like I do. And then you could have your moon be bright as well, which is just in the mix. The bright moon is great. That's strong. That allows us to be emotionally resilient. The other placement I have, it makes it a little harder for a younger person, especially to digest. So the two things are true. Like on one level, one tells me that my emotions will stabilize later in life and I'll have the tools I need to help me navigate, right? And the other one says that there may be ups and downs and there may be care that needs to be taken around the emotions, right? So both things are true at the same time. So mm-hmm. you can see that in a chart. You can also see by like, we don't talk about like, what's your sign as in where's your sun in your chart. Mm-hmm. It's more of a lunar astrology and lunar is the emotions of the internal world. The reason is because that is how things begin to get reflected outward. The sun is our outer world, our outer reflection towards what's going on in the world, but the moon is our inner world, right? So in Vedic, we start with the moon and we also mm. start with the rising sign. So we look at where is the ruler of the, the rising sign gone and, and what condition is that ruler in? And that also tells you a lot about how somebody's emotional state will be or how they'll be able to handle things in the world. Hmm. Are they going to want to freeze or resist or deflect? Are they going to be more likely to embrace, to move forward, to lean in? And some of Hmm. us, we might have a combination, several combinations that cause both things to happen at once. And then it's really about what influences are there in our environment that are going to help us move towards the healthier, lean in, move through. Yeah, that's really, I love these tools. I think even just from when I was little of back then when you would read an astrology reading, which I'm sure was just Western astrology. But (laughs) since the time I was little, I've just loved having these glimpses of tell me more, help me understand more of who I am and how I move through the world. So I love that this can be another tool and can help us with our emotions as well. Yeah. I found this quote on your website, and I would just love to, this is definitely close to my heart right now, so I'm Mm. sure that's why I picked up on it. So you said, I want to be an example of what is possible for the women of my lineage, that we can overcome our stories and earn on our terms without shame, guilt, or fear. What does that mean to you? Yeah. So thank you for, for looking in depth at my website. I really appreciate it because it's, (laughs) it was definitely a labor of love put together. And so my grandmother, my mother's mother, she died quite young. She was 56 and she worked very hard her whole life. She's my connection to my native heritage. She died when I was seven. So I didn't really get to 
connect with her, but she wasn't, you know, well to do. She didn't have a lot. Right. And so she brought up four daughters, my mom among them in like a, you know, poorer part of Oklahoma. And my mom didn't go to college, you know, and she's very talented at design. She has this eye for like designing spaces. Like she could have been a designer, right? But she wasn't told that those opportunities were there. So then my half sister who lives in LA and she's 34, she's an incredible marketer. (laughs) I've always tried to tell her like, you can do consulting gigs and you can charge for your work. And, you know, I'm trying to encourage her to get out of just working for someone else and having more options, making more money. So part of why I do what I do is to break that kind of scarcity lineage that I've been born into, you know, where my mom really relied on men her whole life to pay. And, you know, she was a homemaker or she worked, but it wasn't a significant income. Do you know what I'm saying? So I want to show not only that you can break those tradition, like those lines of ancestral scarcity mentality or whatever you want to call it, like a lack of earning, and also show my sister who has the potential to also do this for our lineage and her lineage, you know, that we don't share, that it's possible, right? And so that's really what inspires me. It's like my why for why, what I do, what I do. And also my husband, because he's he was working hard jobs his whole life and wasn't able to save up for retirement. And when we met, you know, his dream was to have a farm and my dream was to have a farm. And so we were able to get a farm and now he's our full-time farmer. So he's out there right now planting trees. So (laughs) being able to fund this experiment, which we don't yet have a way to make the farm viable financially. We have a lot of ideas, but it's really nice to have space to let it do what it needs to do, like for us to assess how much fruit we're growing and for him to make our farm stand look beautiful again, you know, all these different things that take time instead of rushing because we need the income. So that's also why I do what I do. Mm. So we can break these patterns. We can set free. And my belief is, is not only will this heal you, and of course, future generations, but it'll also heal your mom and your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that as well? Yeah. And, and more than that, like the people around you, you know, because it's not easy to choose this path. <laughs> it's not easy because <laughs> there are people in your ecosystem who maybe aren't wanting to change or who aren't interested in like for me, that's a spiritual path. Yeah. And so it can be confronting, you know? And so it's been interesting to see like who takes a step back and who takes a step forward. And those people's, the way that what you do impacts them. Interestingly too, as an entrepreneur, you're impacting all the people who are watching you and who are engaging with your work. And so mm-hmm. it's giving them the permission to be braver, to make bolder moves, to take those risks those experiments, you know, that they've calculated. I don't think people should just take random risks, but, you know, are taking calculated risks because they see like you've made a big shift and you're, you know, showing up for what is there and really 
casting a vision for what the work is and that inspires other people. So it's that's one of my favorite parts about being an entrepreneur is there's so many people watching that you don't even realize or so many people listening, you know, and if you're doing things in a powerful way and I really want my business to be a model for what's possible in like a new paradigm of business that's not this old version mm-hmm. of capitalism, you know, and so so many people have come to me and said I want a business that's built around my health and well-being. I want a business that gives back five figures a year, you know, because I do those things. And so they also want to do those things. That's pretty cool. That was exactly where I wanted to go next was I could tell by reading your website and following you that giving back is really important to you. So how does that connect with this abundance mindset that you have? Have you always felt that way? Is it more happening now? What does that look like for you? Well, I grew up with like a father who was really generous. He helps people out. He just gives people money when they need it. And he's a car dealer. So he's always like given his girls cars. And like, he's just had that mentality that there will always be more money. And now there's some challenges around that because he also doesn't plan very well for the future. And that does concern me (laughs) and his other daughters. So (laughs) we do have concerns, but that generosity really, I wanted to be like that. I wanted to be able to just give to people who needed it and to causes that were important to me. And so from the beginning of my business, when I wasn't making very much money at all, I just tried to figure out how Like, what are the ways that I can give back? And that started with my time. I was working at a shelter for women who'd experienced sexual abuse. And I was doing the hotline. And just giving my time was the first way that I did that. So I'd work like two days a week and do that in addition to building my business. Because I wanted to really understand, like, that was a cause that I was really concerned about because one in two Native women have experienced sexual violence in this country. It's like the highest rate of any other group. And I just couldn't believe how that was not being talked about. So I wanted to get in on like, how does that actually feel for people? What are they experiencing? Like, why is this happening? You know, and and kind of experience it from the inside. So as my business grew, I was like, oh, now I can give money, more money, you know? And so I started realizing that I could create these higher ticket offerings that would pay my bills and take care of all the needs I had. And then I could create these lower ticket offerings that were like a slam dunk. Yes. For people. And I would give away a hundred percent of the income from those. So it's like May the 3rd, I think as we're, as we're talking, I've already given away over 10 grand this year, just from those lower ticket offerings. So it's, it's like an easy way. And I really want my people to understand that. Like, it feels overwhelming at first and you don't have to give away $10,000 tomorrow, but how could you build a business where that giving is built into the model? It's totally possible. You know, I tell my people like, I have 6,000 followers on Instagram. If everyone on my follower list gave $1,666 away, that would be $10 million of our collective wealth. So we can do wow. that. Like it's, it's not hard. So (laughs) I get really excited about it. (laughs) Mm, I love this that in saying like build this into your life, build it into your lifestyle and 
make it an intention. For me, it's always been, I've always given away my time and resources and helping others. And I just recently had the privilege of going into a lower income community and playing a sound journey for them. And it was completely different than how I do in the yoga studios in the spaces where it's like, oh, the lights are low and we have incense burning and all of the scents and there's pillows and blankets and things like that. This was a fluorescent lighting room, folding chairs, and I had no control over the light or the smell or any of that. And everyone had an experience. And it was one of the, if not the most beautiful sound experience I've ever had in my life. And it just, it was so powerful to me. And so I think there's always ways cool. of looking at it. And and for me, definitely the financial piece, I can't wait. I think about this a lot of being able to give financially in a way that at the level I desire. Right now, I still sometimes feel limited by how much I can give. And so mm. I, there's this part of me that's like, oh, like I really... I'm really excited about that, holding that intention in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you you know, Mm -hmm. well, just responding to that, I totally know that feeling of feeling like, oh, but I have to get all these boxes checked, whatever those look like, business expenses, planning ahead, personal expenses, right? What's been really a game changer for me is both understanding my numbers at a deep level and tracking them. So I use an envelope system. So I know exactly where every dollar is going for like the next two months and maybe sometimes three. So I have it all scheduled in, right? And so then I have a line that says donation. And I have a couple lines because they're coming from different places and going to different places. And so when the money comes in, it just goes right in that line. And then sometimes it adds up over time and then I give a chunk to the place. Mm -hmm. And so it's taken out of my ecosystem immediately. And so that's been a game changer for me. And then again, like I said, having those higher ticket offerings, paying all of the bills in the business and and for my salary and everything, I feel so at ease in my nervous system so that when I go for it and I sell like a lower ticket item, I'm just like all out, like we're going to raise money for this charity. It's like changed the game for me, those two things, the tracking and then having those two separate offers having one offer that's literally dedicated to the donation. So that's how I've gotten over that because I definitely have felt that before. And even my husband, you know, we're building an outdoor kitchen. We haven't started yet. We've got the plans and it's going to be expensive. And he was like, you know, you donated like $6,100 from the summit that I did earlier this year to a farm. And he's like, we're also a farm. (laughs) And I was like, I totally understand (laughs) that, but this is a farm that's supporting black and indigenous people to, you know, acquire land, to learn all that they need to to learn. And like money karma wise for us, when we donate, we get so much more in return. So it's important that we donate as part of the strategy for like remediating some of the problems in my chart. And it's been the case, like money has been coming in since then I sold a program and almost sold it out. And so like part of it also was like cultivating a 
an understanding of like the bigger picture and just being like, okay, it's all going to work out. <laughs> mm. You give me such hope in all okay. of these of <laughs> that. And yeah, that this money karma that we can, we can override some of these programs. We can rewire it. Mm. Yeah. Will you share with us about your time traveling? I know you've spent a lot of time traveling to some really cool places. What does that mean for you? Hmm. Well, you know, I've traveled a lot in my life. It's part of my karma. And it's been such a boon for me to be able to experience life in different places because I think that's given me a perspective from an earlier age that like there's not just one way to do things. In fact, I went and studied anthropology in undergraduate because I was so, I had this theory that we all want the same things, no matter what language we speak, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter the color of our skin, no matter whatever, that we all just want love, connection, home. You know, we want food in our bellies, right? And so I was like, I'm going to go and get lost in another culture and just completely learn that language. And so a lot of the books that I read in college, you know, they're books about getting lost in another culture or, you know, that's what I was really fascinated with. So I didn't have really a spiritual connection until my like later in my 20s i was doing yoga since the age of 18 but i just didn't have a relationship to the place it came from like so many people right but it was making me feel better mm -hmm. that's all i knew and so there was this part of me that just wanted to go off and be a part of a different culture because i didn't feel connected to the roots of my own culture cuz my people come from scotland ireland and our Native American, right? I had no connection to any of that. And so I was hungry for that connection. So when I had a kind of spiritual awakening, like in my, like around 30, and realized that like, this yoga that I'd been practicing was much broader and encompassed so much more. You know, I went off to India and really, that became like, immediately a second home to me and changed my life. And I've met people and forge relationships that are beyond what I ever expected. But I would say that I, I don't have much of a travel practice now. Like I'm not doing as much traveling. I've been to a lot of places. I think I counted like 80 something countries I've been to in my life, but I don't travel just for travel's sake anymore. I go places where I have those connections where I'm going to get to you know, spend time with people I love. And, and sure, there's places I haven't been to yet. I definitely want to walk the Camino, for example. That's That would be more of like a travel <gasps> Me too. experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so that, that would be... That's but it's, high on my list. Me too. But that's more like of a spiritual journey, right? So it's basically if I'm going to connect with somebody or if it's like spiritual related. I don't do traveling just for tourism anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, the for anybody who doesn't know, the El Camino is a spiritual trek, and there's all different variations that you can do of it, and it connects France and Spain. Does it connect any other countries as well? I think it goes to the coast, but I don't think it encompasses any of Portugal. 
but it's about 700 miles long. So if you wanted to walk the whole thing, you'd have to be give it like six weeks. <laughs> so yeah. I wouldn't probably do the whole thing, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I've looked at some like 30 day, like what it looks like to do 30 days and, oh, but I hike with my dog every day. So he's going to have to come with me. Like what I, <laughs> however that looks like of getting him there. Cause he would be so sad to not be on this adventure, but it is definitely it's high on my list of things I want to do as well. So I love that. Mm. I love that you you want to do that as well. Yeah. What about you? I mean, do you travel a lot? Are you are you an avid traveler? And what does it mean to you? Since COVID, I traveled a lot less, a lot less, which I think a lot of people did. My business completely changed almost overnight. So there was some financial scarcity and there were some feelings of that that came up during that time. And so one of the places that came from was this traveling. And so now I'm feeling that that emergence again, that desire to really, really explore the world. And I think my favorite place on earth, which I would love to know your favorite place, which I didn't even know, I just felt called to go there it wasn't on my list of places to go it wasn't on my like top 10 of it just kind of was a last minute trip that happened where i was in maui and the moment i got off the plane i was by myself and traveling from the east coast i think it felt like 3 a.m when i arrived there something like that where it was very late i get to the airport i'm next to like a fence, like a chain link fence at the airport. And I get off the plane and my heart was just like your home. I mean, it was pitch black out. I wasn't seeing any of the beauty of Maui, but my heart knew something about that land. And then the entire experience that I had there, I've never felt so at home on anywhere on the earth as I did in Maui. Mm. Oh, what about nice. you? Oh man. I've been so many incredible places. I mean, India feels like home in a lot of ways and it's vast and it has different cultures, different languages, different landscapes, but it feels like home. But when you were talking, I was thinking about like a place that I went to that I was I had no expectations because I didn't know anything about it that really, really surprised me and like touched me at a deep level. And that was Estonia. So I have a friend there and I was traveling with my mentor to go there as he was teaching and he did a, a retreat there. And I was just so entranced by the culture. People are very, you know, many people believe trees have souls there. And there's just a huge amount of intellectual thought and it's a small country. There's only like a million people. It's also very much like a Nordic country. So it has like some of the similar qualities of like Sweden, Finland, but there's just a big connection to the environment. In fact, the year that we went there, there was this big singing festival that no one's heard of that 20,000 youth were singing together on a stage. It's called Laulupidu. Oh. 
And they were singing about honoring their ancestors and they were singing to the sun and to the moon and to the trees. And it was just this incredible singing I've never heard anywhere. So apparently people in Estonia, when they're when they just start walking and talking, they're like, do you want to sing or do you want to dance? And they have this whole dance part of the festival too. And so basically everyone learns to sing or dance. So that infuses the culture. There's something really, really cool. So that place really charmed me. And right after I went, I was like, oh, I want to move there. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it's Mm. actually very similar in weather to where I live, which is Maine. You know, it's dark in the winter. It's very cold. And what I was going to say is interestingly, like through the pandemic and just being closer to home, I realized how much traveling we can do just on this piece of land and like seeing things grow and watching them through the seasons. It's actually such a privilege. And I feel like a lot of, you know, the time I was traveling, I was looking for adventure and I was trying to go outside of myself to engage with the world, which has value. But now, Part of the work I'm doing is just staying here and watching very closely one place and getting to know this land. And that's really been a meaningful thing for us. Mm, that's so beautiful. My, I'm loving hiking right now because it's being in the woods and in the forest right now as the spring is greening everything up everything it's just I'm in there and I'm like it's been raining every day for the last week and I've still been there and every morning I'm like this is so beautiful even in the rain and Mm. cold it's just this emergence this hope coming to life Mm. yeah would you like to do a few rapid fire questions oh sure (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite book or 10, (laughs) whichever? I'm glad you said or 10 because I was feeling stressed (laughs) when you told me that there was only one because I am a book nerd. Hmm. So I love Jane Eyre. I love a lot of the classic novels, you know, like Middlemarch, Jane Eyre, Anna Karenina. Those stories are so timeless. I love books that took place before the Industrial Revolution. Just like seeing what people did, you know, how they got around, like Pride and Prejudice, you know, like taking the carriage and she walks and it's this big scandal that she walked and got a little muddy, you know, it's like, (laughs) it brings me into a reality that feels really like home. And I like to read actual books. I also like audiobooks, but usually with audiobooks, I'm listening to like nonfiction. And then... A spiritual book that I love is the Agora series by Dr. Robert Svoboda, who's my main mentor. It's pretty wild and out there. (laughs) It's like a trial by fire introduction to the Indian spirituality, and it may repel some people because it's pretty intense, but it's what it did for me. And there's this thing, you know, about Indian spirituality, maybe like the more extreme is that it's it pushes you like if you're the rebellious type who was into punk rock music, like I was, you know, it pushes you in that direction. And then it shows you your heart. Like it just opens you. Mm. It's almost like a kind of a way to kind of smack out of you the extremes so that you can actually get back into the softness. So that's, you know, reading that book over and over really helped me do that. 
So yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to add that to my list. What are you currently reading? Well, I just finished a book called Circe by Madeline Miller. It's a retelling. Did you like it? I loved it. I read it so slowly because I did not want it to end because again, it put me into a world, you know, that was like way before industrial revolution. It's, you know, it's mythic time, but it's retelling these stories from the view of a woman who was banished and has these talents that are within her that nobody cultivates. She has to figure it out on her own. And she's kind of left to do that on this island. And then like miraculous things happen. And I'm all about books where you know, things are happening, you think like one thing is happening, and then a whole bunch of other things happen, you know, and that's, that's kind of the magic of life. So I just read that. And I'm, I'm just starting a book called Why Birds Sing. And it's a nonfiction book. And I don't, I don't know how I feel about it yet. But (laughs) I'm interested because I'm a birder. So I'm really interested in like the science and what's been written about why birds sing. Have you read Braiding Sweetgrass? Yes, it's one of my very favorite books, too. I would put that on my favorite books list for sure. Yes, (laughs) because as soon as you started talking, I was like, oh, I bet she. So the woman who wrote that lives right near me. And so, okay, yeah, on this, the Haudenosaunee land here in upstate New Mm -hmm. York. So, yeah. She's definitely somebody that I would I she doesn't do a lot of podcasts or things like that but I I'm waiting until some moment our paths cross and I would mm. love to have her on here cuz that I think that book is such a beautiful book. Oh, it's fantastic. My sweetie and I actually read it together over coffee every mm. morning for like a year. We just read a little bit each morning, so Oh. Very sweet book. That's so beautiful. Mm, I love that. I love that practice of doing that together. What is one thing you know for sure? Mm, I think that our intuition is never wrong. I think that's something I can say for sure is there's a difference between your intuition and your thoughts and your intuition and your anxiety. And you have to figure out what that difference is. But when you do figure that out and you're you're in your intuition, it's it's never wrong. We may have to take some time to actually come around to do what our intuition is telling us to do, but <laughs> yeah, it's never been wrong for me. No, it's never been wrong for me either. I like that. Do you have a favorite quote or poem, something you'd like to leave us with? So I had debated when you shared with me between two things. And then I felt like maybe I should read this Edna St. Vincent Millay poem called Spring because I always read it every spring, usually in April because it mentions April, but I had forgotten to do that this year. So (laughs) Mm. I'll read it here. Okay. So it's called Spring. To what purpose, April, do you return again? Beauty is not enough. You can no longer quiet me with the redness of little leaves opening stickily. I know what I know. The sun is hot on my neck as I observe the spikes of the crocus. The smell of the earth is good. It is apparent that there is no death. But what does that signify? Not only underground are the brains of men, 
eaten by maggots. Life in itself is nothing. An empty cup. A flight of uncarpeted stairs. It is not enough that yearly, down this hill, April comes like an idiot, babbling and strewing flowers. (laughs) Mm. So, you know, for me, it's like renewal, right? It's like there is no death. That changes perspective. And very much the work I do is around karma. So there's this understanding that there's reincarnation. And so what does that mean, right? That means like, look around us. It's spring. Things are growing again, even though they looked dead just a matter of months ago. (laughs) You know, like the soul has more than just this body. So I love that poem. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you for sharing that. I've never heard that. Really beautiful. So if you want to connect with Paula, she has a beautiful Instagram. It's at Weave Your Bliss. She has a podcast that I had the pleasure of being on. So I'll link that in the show notes as well. And that's the Weave Your Bliss podcast. And her website is weaveyourbliss.com. And I'm sure she would love to hear from you. So be sure to give her a follow, connect with her, send her any questions you have. Anything else you want to leave us with today, Paula? I did recently rename the podcast the Cosmic Business Podcast. So just so oh. people don't get like lost when they're looking for it, it's please not a do. New name. Okay, say that again. <laughs> say that again. Say it again. I'm sorry, the I didn't Cosmic have the correct Business one. Podcast. No, it's okay. But okay, I, it Cosmic used to be the Weave Your Bliss Podcast, and now it's rebranded. So if you're looking for it, you might not find it if you look under yep. Weave Your Bliss. Hmm. And that's just a part of our journey, a part of our journey as humans and entrepreneurs is continuing this rebranding of ourselves. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for this conversation. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed this talk today. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're ready to dive deeper into your own emotional expedition, I invite you to join me in an intimate eight-week virtual book study of Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And in case you're not quite ready to join the study, I wanted to share a free offering that I often suggest to people as a little bit of a compass to get them started on their emotional journey, the meditation to alleviate stress. You can find the meditation and the book study linked below. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.